Well, is it starting to feel like Christmas now? Is it? Yeah. It is for me too. When I was I was standing back there in the snowy forest and hearing hearing silent night and oh holy night, and I'm like, this feels like Christmas now. So I'm gonna say a Merry Christmas. I was worried. I, I'm I'm saying it every chance I get now. I got one more chance to say it to you tomorrow night. And yes, I will say it to you tomorrow night. I've, I've already had some questions like, Jeff, how are you going to get to all those? Technology. Technology. All right? So I'll be there. I'm telling you. And it's going to be a great night to, tomorrow night. I hope you get to be a part of that. It's not going to be more than an hour. So you'll be able to come and then still get to all the other events that you got the candles will be lit and singing some songs, and I'm going to talk you through the, the Christmas story a little bit. It, it'll be a great event to invite some people to come to, as well as next Sunday, because we will be here next Sunday, and next Sunday is a fifth Sunday, and on the fifth Sundays, we have started to do what we call family days, and so we, we gear that day toward kids, and so we kind of did that a little bit last time to edge you in. You remember we kind of brought out some beach balls at the beginning and had some fun and that kind of stuff. Well, next week we're going to kind of take it to another level, all right? And so it's not what we're going to do every week. Don't freak out, although some of you will wish we did it every week. But next week is going to be geared toward kids. They're going to be in here with us. It's just going to be a good time. I'm, I think it'll work out to where you may walk away next week going, hmm, I've never done that before. All right? So that's worth coming to find out. Bring, bring some folks. Uh, it'll be a great, again, great setting to just bring some folks who maybe are not accustomed to even um, being a part of church and wondering what this whole thing is about. We have framed this Christmas season around the theme already, but not yet. And we get it in terms of when we're in the season, like it's the season. It, it's Christmas and yet, not yet because we're waiting for the day. It's getting close now. But this phrase is also a phrase that is used to describe the space that we live in, we who are followers of Jesus, because we simultaneously celebrate what Jesus has already done for us, while at the same time we look forward to what is yet to come, the full realization of the victory that, that Jesus has brought, and we're going to know that when he returns. And so we live in this already but not yet space. Simultaneously we have celebration, but at the same time there are days we experience sorrow. There is this mix of the two. But on that day, there won't be a mix anymore. No more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. It will be celebration. And so just like how we celebrate this week, some of you are already into it. Some of you have already had Christmas stuff yesterday. You'll do it today and tomorrow. I think that's a great way to do it. Just like make a whole week. But however good that celebration is, it's just a shadow of the celebration that is to come. Today, I want to walk you through another part of that early Christmas story. Today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 3. If you got your Bible and you want to follow along, which again, I encourage you to do, um, either, either get you a Bible, we would, we'll be glad to help get you one, or get it on your phone somehow um, that you can, you can work along as we're reading and as we're studying. Luke chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. 
And it's actually a, a talk, it's actually a, a sermon, if you will, given by a guy named John. He was the baptizer, so you often hear him called John the Baptist. And he's going to quote another prophet that we've been hanging out on a lot, it seems like, in this series, the prophet Isaiah. And he's talking about Jesus' arrival. Here's what the Scripture says in Luke chapter 3, verse 4. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so again, John is talking about Jesus is coming. And, and I think when you, when you really get the context of these words, what, what's the picture here? It, it, it's this picture that the coming of Jesus is going to make the path straight. What path are we talking about? I, I would, I would, it's the path to God. The, the path to be able to have access to God is about to be made accessible for you and me. And how that happens, he's about to describe, and he's going to use very poetic language to do it. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 5. Here's how he starts it. Every valley shall be filled in. All right, so again, we got poetic language. We got imagery here. So you're thinking about a valley that is filled in. It is one of the constant themes in Jesus' ministry that, that Isaiah and John are getting at here. It's this imagery of the humble, the lowly, the broken. The valley will be filled in. The humble, the broken, the lowly will be exalted. Now, we talked about this just for a few minutes last week, and, and when you look at even Jesus' most famous sermon, th this is the language that we find Jesus used. Let me, let me show you a few of these. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's skip to verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, hungry, thirsty, for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let me give you one more. Let's go to verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you. Isn't that how you feel? So blessed when that happens? Persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, do you see what's happening here as Jesus unpacks these things, everything, honestly, that he says blessed is typically what we don't want to be. It's what we typically don't want to be. But Jesus is saying, this is the blessed life. But in our, in our mind, it's like, no, the blessed life would be to be rich, including in spirit. I want to be rich in spirit. The, the blessed life would be for people to love me and to praise me not to insult me and persecute me. The blessed life would be not to be hungry, not to be thirsty for righteousness, but to have it full on. 
But Jesus says, you got to see this clearly. He shows up and says, I am bringing the low things up. Every valley shall be filled in. Let me give you a practical picture of this. Some of you know what it's like to walk through a season of mourning. And I think Christmas time actually often causes a lot of that emotion to surface, loss. That's a valley. A time of mourning would be a, a place that is low. And yet some of you in this room could testify that in that valley, you experienced that valley being filled. Because although you may say, I never want to go through that again, the Lord was kind to you in that space. He was kind to you in that place. When you were powerless, when you felt hopeless, when you were desperate, you would say, look, I never want to have to go through that again. But honestly, sometimes I miss the nearness that I felt when I was so low and he filled that valley in. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. It's a kingdom economic. It's upside down. This is the kind of stuff that makes us realize how absolutely ridiculous and evil a prosperity gospel is. That does not fit with the kingdom economy. Watch what happens next. Every valley shall be filled in, and every mountain and hill made low. Now, that's, that's the corresponding truth. We, we get the picture, all right? The, the, those who are low will be lifted. And now, what are we looking at? Every, every mountain, every hill, the arrogant, the self-righteous, the prideful are going to be made what? Low. All right, so, so let me do this one more time. Every, every valley is being filled in, and, and every mountain is being made low. Anybody recognizing that the ground is getting mighty level here? The ground's getting incredibly level here. The prideful. Pride's sneaky, isn't it? The self-righteous. Self-righteousness is, is sinister. I, I've heard it said before, you, you are never in more danger than when you feel spiritual. Because the person who said that was just realizing how quickly you and I, when we experience the victories that come out of the valley, suddenly develop this puffed-up self-image of, look what we did, look what we got through. Look, look, what, look what we can do. We know how fast we can go from here to here. And Isaiah is saying, in all of this, you're not going to buy or earn your way into this kingdom. The only way you get a seat at this table is that it is offered to you by grace. In the same sermon that I mentioned earlier that Jesus spoke out of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said something else 
that goes like this. He says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm going to try to be really nice right here, but I don't really know how to be fully nice and get my point across, so I'm just going to say it. The Pharisees are better than you and me. The Pharisees are better at the whole moral thing, like keeping all the rules, doing all the things that look like they're all, all that moral law stuff that they're better than us. And unless you've memorized the entire book of Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, they're better than you on the Bible too. These guys, I mean, when Jesus said this, everybody looks around and really nobody's arguing with him because they know the level at which these spiritual people operate. It sounds discouraging. It sounds like the road didn't just get easier. Jesus, you just made the road more difficult. But no, when you look at what he's saying here, when you get the context of this whole picture, what Jesus is saying is this is not what gets you in the kingdom. He's saying the ground is level. You can't be good enough. There is no other way in to the kingdom of this king who is being born than by his grace through faith in him. Oh, at this Christmas time, I pray that you hear those words. It is by grace through faith in Jesus. All of a sudden, the ground becomes incredibly level. No matter how low you may think you are, no matter how high you may think you are, the message is by grace through faith in Jesus. The low are lifted, the high are lowered. But he's not done. Let's keep going. Back to verse 5. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain shall be made low. The crooked roads shall become straight and the rough ways smooth. Now, you're already getting the hang of what he's talking about here. And we all know none of us have a road that is straight. We look at our lives and we go, no, it kind of looks more like this, right? Crooked. It, not, not straight when it comes to a path in terms of, of but but. Uh, it is incredibly crooked, and if we're really honest, we would say even on our best days, our rough edges can still be pretty rough. Jesus' arrival, he says, is signaling the fact that those paths are being made straight. And no matter how crooked those roads, and no matter how rough those edges this is why Jesus came, and it's who he came for. Anybody remember the, the uh, little story of, uh, I use the word little story because he was a little man, um, Zacchaeus. Some of you grew up in church, and you, you even know the, the funny little song that goes with it, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Yeah, that's how it goes. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. We even know the kind for the Lord he wanted to see. Uh, and as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree 
and said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. All right, that's the song. We learned it as kids. Like, that's a cool story. We little man climbs up in the tree, sees Jesus. Jesus goes to his house. But there's a part of the story that, that I, I want to highlight um, today in light of what we're, we're talking about. And it's in Luke chapter 19, verse 7, where we're given this detail. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, who are they talking about? Jesus with Zacchaeus. All right, so in this cool little song, little man meets Jesus, Jesus going to his house to eat, in the middle of all that, Mutter, 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 mutter. I love that Bible word. Mutter, mutter, mutter. People are doing it all the time. How could Jesus go to Zacchaeus' house? And I think when we read stories like this, we have a way of thinking, oh, those self-righteous religious jerks leave little Zacchaeus alone. If I had been there on that day, I would have told them what they needed to hear, and I would have been right there with Jesus celebrating at Zacchaeus' house. I'm going to try to be nice again, but it's not really going to come across that way. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Because you've got to consider the context. Rome rules the world. And Rome is a brutal empire. When Rome takes cities, Rome crucifies men and women and children hangs them on crosses just to make a point. If anybody thinks you want to push back against us, if anybody thinks you want to rebel now that we own your city, this is the image that you need to see. Now, how do you maintain that kind of power? Military. And how do you pay for that? Taxes. Zacchaeus had purchased the right from Rome to take taxes from his people in order to pay for this occupying force of Rome that was responsible for the murder and the plundering of the very people from which Zacchaeus is taking taxes. And he can add on as much as he wants to feed his own pockets. You get, you get what I'm describing? I don't even know the equivalent in our culture. I, I, I don't know anything to go, you know, like, no. Because if anything like such and such happened, we, we would take some immediate action to go, you got to be kidding me. This is a self-indulgent, self-righteous, proud, disgusting human being. And Jesus is sitting at the table in his house, eating with him. And to eat with someone in that day is not just a picture of being with them. It is a picture of being for them. It is scandalous. Jesus, why would you do this? And he simply says, I came to seek and to save the lost. And he actually lived that. 
It's why one of the primary accusations that people always made against Jesus is that he was the friend of drunkards and sinners. He's, that's, 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 what, that's what they gave him. That's the title. He's a friend of drunkards and sinners. Why? Because this is why he came. That the low would be lifted and the proud brought low and the crooked made straight and the rough edges smoothed. And here's the really, really good part of this. Verse 6, Luke chapter 3. And all people will see God's salvation. Yes. All people will see God's salvation. This is not just for the Jews. This is for all nations. Another great story and attached to the birth of Jesus is the story of an old man named Simeon. Now, I'm using the word old man with him because his age is kind of a key to all this. Simeon was told at one point by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. Like with his eyes, he would see the Messiah. And then Simeon has a birthday, and Simeon has another birthday, and he has another birthday, and another birthday, and Simeon's getting older. And then you throw in the fact that the Jews have been waiting for a Messiah for thousands of years now. What waiting? One had been promised, but, but they're waiting, and in fact, there hasn't even been a prophet in Israel for 400 years. There, there hasn't even been a prophet who's saying, thus saith the Lord. And yet Simeon is standing on what he believes that he has heard from the Holy Spirit. Now, I think people started talking in the church. It's like, eh, Simeon's getting a little senile, you know. And every once in a while, somebody go try to have a conversation with him and talk a little sense into him. I'm pretty sure that security was shadowing Simeon. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, let's make sure he doesn't get in the plate. And let's make sure that he doesn't cause any scenes that aren't, aren't necessary. Because he's just a crazy old man until the day that Mary and Joseph step into the temple carrying a firstborn son. And Simeon filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says he takes Jesus in his arms and he sings this song. Luke chapter 2, verse 29 Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Now this is the part I want you to see. Which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. That's what John said would be. That's what Isaiah said would be. All nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. Good news. That's you. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. What has been promised is not just for one ethnic group, not for just one part of the world, not just for one socioeconomic status. No, it's about the low being lifted and the high being brought low. 
This level is ground, or it is level at the foot of the cross, the crooked made straight, the rough being smoothed. But this is to the ends of the earth, and you and I are the evidence. Because here we are. And has anybody taken a deep enough breath to just be honest and go, I mean, from the outside, does anybody see how weird this looks? Does anybody see how weird this looks that you and I are making a big deal out of the birth of a baby that happened 2,000 years ago, a long way away? And we're singing songs about it. And we're marveling in it, and we are being overwhelmed by it. Because it's true. It's true. Good news for all nations, for all peoples, the low raised, the high brought low, the crooked made straight, and the rough made smooth. Okay. Then what should we do? Like, if that's true, what should that mean for our life? That's where John goes next. Luke chapter 3, verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. That's my favorite part. That's some prophetic edge, right? You are a prophet if you start the sermon with you bunch of snakes, right? That, that's, you, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now hold that phrase we're coming back to. All right? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Let's get that phrase that John uses there, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Many of you may have heard the word repentance because when we talk about how, how do you come to Jesus, well, it, it, is, it is repentance. We, the word repentance is what, is what uh, the Scripture calls us to. It is a turning. We'll talk about that more in just a second. What I want you to see is that repentance is not just something we do once to become a Christian. That when you actually study Scripture, you see us to be a continually repenting people. And if you don't see that, then, then you're going to give yourself over to, to, to this life of trying to hide behind being a good person. 
right? You're either going to buy the lie of self-righteousness or you're going to buy the lie of lowliness, all right? It, it either ends up looking like, how, how, how are you doing with God? Oh, I'm good. I'm in my Bible all the time. I'm in my Bible all the time. Got 14 versions open right here on my phone all, all at once. I'm, I'm in my Bible. All the, or, or it looks more like, how are you doing with God? I say, well, I, I can't even seem to read my Bible a couple of days in a row. I, I can't. Even, and, and you will buy into these lies of self-righteousness or you will buy into these lies of lowliness when the real picture is we are are a people who are continually repenting. Now, I'm not talking about confessing the same sin over and over and over and over again. That's not what this is talking about. Yes, it is true. Sometimes we do need to confess a sin again. It's not like we all right, messed up once and then never. So sometimes there is, but this is not about talking about, you know, going to the people you trust. You can confess the same sin over and over. Repent is, is a change of mindset. It's to change our direction. It's to turn our back on one thing and to turn toward Jesus. Repentance is not, oh man, I did that again. No, repentance is this longing to be filled with grief over my sin. And there's this really scary verse in the first chapter of Romans that talks about the wrath of God that is, that is poured out on us against our sin. And it reads like this. It's, it's kind of it's deceptive. It reads like this. Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. God gave, he's talking about his wrath. And he's saying God's wrath is revealed this way. You ready? God just gave them over to what they wanted. Ooh. That's scary. He says, you wanted wealth instead of me? Have at it. You, 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 you wanted people to like you more than me? Have at it. That is so scary to me because we are just the kind of people who, who, will, who will then indulge in those things that our heart wants. Not I mean, we would just go, well, God has blessed me. And the whole time he's going, no, I, I actually just turned you over to what you wanted your God to Woo. I'll come back to the axe thing at the root of the tree here in a minute. Let's keep going. Luke chapter 3, verse 10. The people say, what shall we do then? And John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. All right, so, so here's the picture. He's saying you got two of something, give one of them to somebody who has a need. That's pretty simple. I don't, he's not talking socialism here. What he's talking about is lining up with the kingdom of God. And it's interesting where this goes. It reminds me of the moment that this same guy, John the Baptist, who's delivering the sermon that day, there's going to be a day where he ends up in prison, and he's actually going to die. He's going to lose his head because he's lining up with Jesus. But in that process, he sends word to Jesus, hey, Jesus, 
are you really, is this really right? Because this isn't how I saw this going down. Jesus, is this really what, the, the way, is it really you? And Jesus, Jesus will quote Isaiah back to John the Baptist. And these are the kind of things he says to him. The poor are cared for. And the oppressed will be set free. And those in the margins, they will be heard. In other words, when Jesus answers him, Jesus not only gives him the spiritual realities of what's taking place, but Jesus affects the physical. He, he connects the physical realities to it. Here's what I mean. Some of you got to be a part of the, of the holiday dinner that we had here. We had a meal together and just celebrate a little bit of this year. And I, in that process, shared some numbers with you wanting you to, to be encouraged in terms of lining up with what Jesus has called us to do. For example, I told you that in the uplift ministry, which is a ministry to the homeless where we feed the homeless, hundreds and hundreds of pans of food that you cooked this year that served 10 1,900 meals. That's pretty cool. I told you about a food pantry. You hear it talked about every once in a while. Food pantry helped feed more than 2,600 people this year. Not to mention the Project Nick efforts of feeding orphans all over the world, not to mention the Real 127 efforts of, of caring for the broken, N not, not to mention Operation Christmas Child, right? Those, those gifts, those boxes that are sent out to, to, to kids all over the world. Here's my point. Many of you have come alongside the poorest of the poor, and you have spent your money, you have spent your energy, you have spent your time pushing back what is dark. And I'm saying, that is exactly the pattern of what Jesus says it looks like when this love that he has poured out into you is, this, is then poured out into the earth. But listen to me. Not all of you did that. Not all of you did that. Some of you actually spent very little money or time some of you actually spent very little energy. Some of you actually spent little of anything. And honestly, you're not a part of doing anything that really aligns with helping the poor or the marginalized or the oppressed. And I have to say that to you today because you need to know that that is the context for which this axe described here is at the root of the tree. Where he knows that which is real and that which is dead. He knows that which is alive and that which is not. And just like John's audience of that day, some of you are doing the same thing you are relying on 
a heritage. They, they were relying on a family name. Some of you rely on a church name. You rely on other people's faith to get you in good with God. And there's all these other people who are, who are doing exactly, here's what it looks like to follow Jesus and to, to love people and to, to help those who are oppressed. And you're lining up with that, relying on somebody else's faith. And there is not really a turning of your heart to God. And God knows. And it's like, I I, I get this. I've been, you know, doing ministry a long time. And I'm still amazed how this can be like a hobby for some people. And it's like, I, I don't know what we're trying to accomplish in that. There was a day where to say that you were a Jesus follower was beneficial, I think, to your business, to your wallet. People, people in town, it's like, oh, they're a Christian, I will go there. I, I don't think that's the case anymore. And so every week, like, we, we call you to eternal things. And, and there are people who will sing, and there are people who will even go to Bible study, but, but they are internally indifferent. And there is no evidence, there is no fruit of repentance. There is no fruit of life change. And it's like, look, I just have to ask you, who are you trying to trick? Because it's not God. And who cares what I think? Who cares what I think? But who are you trying to trick? You hear the word of God, but you have no intent of obeying. And you got to hear me, you are actively hardening your own heart toward the very thing that can save you. My advice is you should pick a much less dangerous hobby if all you want this to be is a hobby. You're like, man, that's not very Merry Christmas-like. And I want you to hear me. This is the Christmas message. This is the Christmas truth. The path has been made easier for us to turn to Jesus. And so here's the message. Are you low? Then here's good news. He lifts that ground. Come on in. That's the message. Are you self-righteous? Then get ready, because he makes low. Come on in. We know what you're talking about. Are you crooked? Yes, we are. So come on in. That's this message. Are you rough around the edges? Then have you seen who's on Jesus' team? Come on in. And just in case you don't believe me, The last few verses of what John says hopefully will paint the picture for you. Verse 12. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Now, remember the setting. John's out there. He's talking to the masses. Who shows up? Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? 
He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Now, come on, I'm not sure that these two groups of people showed up for church. You know what I mean? I'm not sure they showed up for church for the point of church. Maybe they showed up to to, to ease their guilt a little bit. Maybe they're there to make sure that there's not a rebellion that happens as John is talking in this big mass of people. I don't know what the reason was that they came. But when they got there, they heard the word, and it cut them to the heart. And their resulting question is, what do we do? And I find it interesting that John does not say, you need to resign from being a tax collector. He does not say, you need to resign from being a Roman soldier. He does not say, you need to quit your occupation. Instead, he says, this is what repentance and life looks like. This is what it looks like when you turn from sin to Jesus and you live it out. See, we have this way of compartmentalizing everything. We got our work life and we got our friendship life and we got our play life and then we got our church life. And John's going, no, no, I'm not telling you to walk away from your work. I'm telling you this is what your work looks like under the kingship of Jesus. Quit taking money that doesn't belong to you. Quit manipulating people and using your power to to get what you want from them. This is what your work looks like when Jesus is the king of it all. Live the reality of the gospel. Because you tax collectors... And you Roman soldiers, you that are most despised, you are most welcome. Because the ground here is level. No matter how low you may perceive yourself to be, this king who has come, He fills in the valleys. And no matter how high you may think you may be, nobody gets in this kingdom by earning or buying their way in. It's only by grace he brings us low. And when you meet Jesus, life is different. We all enter on the ground level, but when you meet Jesus, life is different. So if life is not different from you, if if your life doesn't look like him, if if you're not following him and the evidence, the fruit is not there of repentance, you got to get that image of an ax where he's going, I know what is real and I know what is fake. When he comes, he makes the path easier. Because the broken, they are lifted. And the self-righteous are made low. The crooked made straight. And the rough made smooth. Merry Christmas. This is the story of Christmas. Let's pray. God, I thank you for a reminder today 
God, I thank you for a, an image of a, of a tough, gruff guy like John seems to be who, who will just say it in a way that um, sometimes we really need to hear it. And I pray, God, that you would enable us to realize today that this, this, is, this is not about some guy just standing up on a stage here today. God, just trying, just trying with everything that we've got to communicate today what your word says is true. God, we celebrate today because Jesus' coming has made the way possible for us to get to you. There may be people here today, God, they feel they are in the valley. They feel the brokenness. They look back over their life, and they've, they've got the list of, the, of all that has been done wrong, got all that is undeserved. And today, I pray that you will help them to know you are the king who fills in the valleys. But God, there may be some here today that, God, we, we've, we've been so self-righteous. We've, we've been so puffed up in who we think we are. But today, your, your word has, has humbled us. Today, you have brought us low. Give us faith to come to you. God, help us to see today. God, every one of us in this room, our path, God, I, this road has been incredibly crooked. It has been so rough, and yet you are smoothing out the edges every day as we trust you. So God, there's a part of us today that celebrates. We celebrate this good news. It is for all people. It is for every single person in this room, every single person hearing my words today. This is for us all. But God, I also pray that we will hear the warning today. This is not a hobby. This is not about nostalgia. God, this, this is not about just, God, kind of piggybacking off of somebody else's faith. God, if that's our story today, I pray that the truth of your love would call us to repentance. That what we have with you will be real. What we have with you will be alive. Thank you for your truth. We thank you for being our Savior. We thank you for being our King. May we live such. In the name of Jesus, I pray today. Hey, as we sing here at the end, there are going to be some folks around the room available to, to pray with you. And maybe you feel brokenness today. Maybe you feel God calling you today. Maybe there's some questions you have today. We would be honored, so honored to pray with you, to talk to you about any of those things. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to sing it together, and you are invited to come.